What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dr. Joey Munoz Show. Today, I have a really special guest with me. She is my colleague at Team BioLane, my good friend, Astrid Naranjo. Astrid is an accredited dietitian, and she works to help people improve their relationship with food. Astrid, how are you doing today? Thank you for being on. I'm excited to be here, man. It's been... I, I just love your podcast and all the episodes has been just so great. So I'm super honored to be one of the guests of your podcast. Of course. Seriously, thank you for taking time to be here. I really appreciate it. I really wanted to talk to you because obviously we had our seminar um, recently, right? And guys, for those of you that don't know, we recently had our annual BioLane seminar here in Tampa and we had an awesome time together an awesome weekend and we each gave some really incredible presentations and I was really really impressed with your presentation Astrid I think you broke down the topics of binge eating intuitive eating and all of those uh, topics associated with relationships with food really really well Um, and I wanted to have you on to discuss those things because I think my audience could benefit tremendously from listening to you speak Um, so how about you start off by telling us a little bit about the clientele that you work with and what sets you apart as a coach? I can tell you that um, I think that the difference with my coaching probably comes from my upbringing, my past, and I guess that personality I have with people. One of the things I particularly found that was very challenging with my background and my studies back home, especially early in the early 2010, 2007, that, that range of time, dietitians were quite prescriptive. And when I studied nutrition, it was a meal plan, tell the client or the patient what to do and off you go. So there was no true connection. There was no motivational interviewing. There was no digging behind what driving people behaviors. So one, once I started doing my master's degree here in Australia, once I came here and I started working a bit more into understanding how humans think and how people behave and what drives people's choices, behaviors, habits. It was so clear to me that being prescriptive probably wasn't going to be a, the best approach or very efficient in order to change someone's life permanently. You can do a meal plan. I am 100% convinced that these are tools that are valued mm-hmm. uh, and they, they work. But for how long and how much more tools, how many other tools do you use in order to make some permanent changes in someone's life? So when I started working with motivational interviewing and in understanding a bit more, how important is that negotiation and bringing the client and the patient involved with their own health and their own nutrition, their own choices, Things just started to turn in a different way that I thought it was always going to be hard because especially part of me worked in a hospital setting and majority of the times when you go to a hospital to talk to a patient, they are not expecting you. They have no interest to see you. And it's more like you get a referral you got to go and tell them, hey, the doctor just gave me a referral to come and see you because you've been losing weight or you're not eating the right food. Or in a rehab setting, a lot of referrals are for clients to lose weight because their weight is affecting probably their rehab outcomes, their knees. If they had a knee replacement or a hip surgery, they need to lose some weight in order to for their surgery to be more successful and their rehab be more manageable. So when I come to them, it's like, hey, I'm here. You have to lose weight. Hello. If yeah. it's not well received, 
But Correct. when you start coming with a different approach that is inviting the client to reflect on what has driven those behaviors and where they are today and whether they actually want to change something because they may need to do certain things for their own health or for a specific outcomes, but how much do they actually want to change? And if there is no true drive from them to want to make a change, you can do and you can have the best plan for them, but they're not going to implement it. And the other thing that sets me apart is thinking to, to show like a fresh approach to nutrition when it comes to opening-ended questions, listening to my clients. And I think we all, uh, this generation of coaches are really good at doing that now, sure. that we are not just only to tell them what to do, but we also want to get them participating into the plan and make something that is going to be a smart goals, realistic, attainable, sustainable, achievable, and in a time frame that they are actually able to commit and do it is doable. A lot of people come with true, uh, say, unrealistic expectations. And I think it is important for us as coaches to talk about what is the reality of the situation and whether that is actually realistic or not. Yeah, those are fantastic answers. And and I think I want to get a little bit deeper into talking about the particular type of client that you work with. I know you work with a lot of people who perhaps struggle with um, perhaps eating disorders, binge eating in particular, talking about different approaches that can be really, really beneficial for that type of person. But I think, Ashford, honestly, that's really where you shine. And I think you have, I mean, I guess as, as coaches, we all work with individuals who struggle with their nutrition in one aspect or another, right? But I think the type of clients that you work with and the type of people that you work with in particular are very unique in terms of the struggles that, that they have, right? So maybe we can start off by um, defining what binge eating is, what are some uh, common misconceptions, uh, and then go into what are some things that people can really work on if they're trying to improve those behaviors. Yeah, when we think about binge eating, there is always the concept that is quite confused with overeating. So I guess it is important to identify that binge eating is eating a lot of calories or a ton of food in a very short period of time, but that is not the only definition. When we think about binge eating, we think about losing control of yourself using um it is like it is having a very negative cloud it's, it's very horrible the way the, the people people feel when they are sort of doing this and if the drive of that is self-loathing punishment it is very negative that comes it should, that comes with it and obviously there is a sense of loss of control, that there is no escape. And sometimes you may not even be able to know when to stop. It's just something that makes it really hard. Now, there are degrees of binge eating and there, are, there is a scale and a questionnaire that if you want, I can always provide to you if people want to look into that. But there are severities like this, like would you can identify someone is binge eating, but it's not that severe. Like maybe it's once a week, uh, maybe it's once every three weeks or something like that. And to the point that it's quite severe, the, per the person is binging more than three times a week. Mm, it's very, very frequent. And that is when it, it is more categorized as a binge eating disorder and it is in the category of all the eating disorders that we can find in a book that has the definitions of all the disorders that are related to eating. But when we think about the people that I work with, I try to set the 
clear picture that I don't work with severe eating disorders themselves because that's a, a deeper specialty that needs a lot of additional tools. But in, in addition, you have to work in, in, in compass with a psychiatrist and a therapist. And it is more like a work that needs sometimes to be in hospital or it just needs a bigger attention. When we think about a mild binge eating is the type of clients that I work with. Sometimes how to do with trauma can be something to do with emotional or stress eating, compensation because of lack of tools to cope with certain uncomfortable feelings or uncomfortable situations or emotions. And food seems to be the only way that people learn how to cope with their situation or that negative emotion they're feeling. So when they see food, they say, this is my, my escape. This is the moment I can just numb myself and go away for a while. But the thing is that I really like to teach my clients that for how long can this truly be helpful? Because you are letting yourself triggered and you are allowing a situation to become so, so powerful on you that that's where you no longer have the control. But the powerful thing is that you do have the control if you're able to predict, analyze your environment and understand what your triggers are. So if you know that the environment you are, that is something toxic, that is something that is sort of setting you up for a consecutive emotion that is going to follow that negative feeling and then sort of builds up and gets you to a point where you no longer can hold it and then you binge, there is where it is really important to develop that self-awareness. What are some of the things that are setting the binge up so you can identify that and have a plan in place? One of the other things that I like to talk about when it comes to binge eating that probably is not much talked about is how the environment that we live in makes a huge impact. And I was speaking with a patient yesterday, actually, that she suffers from binge eating disorder. Not so much to the severe extreme, because she's very aware that everything that set her up was from childhood abuse and trauma. And consecutively, she just, she just grew up in a very toxic environment as well, where one of the things that was making her just be within herself and use only food as a coping mechanism is that she never spoke about that she was being abused by her uncle. And that was something that up until 30 years later, she had spoke up and she said, I need to, to say this, to tell my family, I just can't hold this anymore. When she was able to open up and take that out of herself, there was so, such a big weight that lifted off her shoulders and she was able to get help. So she started working with a therapist and a psychiatrist, and then she started working with me. That This is in a hospital setting, obviously, but she went to the hospital for that depression, not necessarily for the binge eating, but that's something that has been affecting her pretty much along the way. In fact, she had a, a sleeve, um, a bariatric surgery, and she pretty much lost it. She gained all the way back. So sort of trying to identify what are some of the things that were affecting her. And one week later, since our first conversation, is that her environment was is really toxic. And being in hospital, she felt like she was in a different, I don't know how you call it, circuit. When you look, you hear to the radio, she feels like she was now in like an AM circuit where everyone could understand her, could support her, align with her goals. And she felt like she was able to move forward. She, she could see the light at the end of the tunnel. But 
when she feels or she, she thinks about her family, that is a, like a FM. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of like it tries to pull her out of what, what she's trying to accomplish. Um, so out of all of this, the biggest thing is to identify how is your environment and what can you do in order to improve or get out of that environment, setting healthy boundaries that can get you away from certain people that you know that are going to make you regress if you're trying hard to get better. And the other important thing is how you approach the day after if you have pinched. Most times the problem seems to be that it becomes a vicious cycle. You lost your control, you binged, and then you feel even worse. You feel very guilty. You feel like you're a piece of shit, that you don't, you're not worth it. And that becomes a strong reason to punish yourself in the day, the day, the next day. So in order to compensate, you avoid eating breakfast. You try to burn it off. You try to not have anything throughout the day. And also, if you had a big amount of calories, you're probably not necessarily that hungry. So you create that eating disorder, eating pattern that starts strengthening over time if you continue to do this or allow this to be your new pattern. So what happens is it just becomes more normalized. For you, it's now not just a coping mechanism, but it's also becoming a normal pattern for you. I just overeat and eat the huge amount of foods at night and I just don't eat throughout the day. So I just have one big meal. And a lot of people I work with, they have this excuse, I'm just not hungry in the morning, but I um, sort of lose it Mm -hmm. after 3 p.m. So what is happening is that they have created, I don't know, allowed this unhealthy eating pattern that is just feeding an excuse to continuing this behavior. So it's kind of like a lot of, a lot to unpack in there, but I think it is important to identify that it is okay to overeat sometimes. Like we do all the time when you're enjoying, but the concept of overeating is quite different because we think about, I just like this so much. I just want to have more, but you're consciously making the decision that you're doing it because you want. Well, because you are already kind of full, but you want to get some room for additional ice cream, things like that, which is normal, but also a lot of people may confuse these terms. So let's let's say they had a little bit more than they should have, but it was something that necessarily doesn't is categorized as beach eating or an additional 3,000 calories, maybe was another four or 500 calories on top of their diet. And they're probably in a deficit. So they don't even go to over their maintenance calories. And they feel like they fail. They beat. And like, okay, let's unpack how much calories you had and whether that actually falls into that negative connotation of beach eating. And it doesn't. So that is what I, there is a very important distinction between subjective beach eating and an objective binge. So that bigger difference is that the subjective binges that you think you did binge, but you actually didn't. Yeah. It's just like, it just goes against what you think you should have eaten. The objective binge is when you do actually have a binge episode that goes completely out of control and all the sort of features I explain about binge. Yeah, I love that you distinguished between an actual episode of binge eating and just overeating, right? Because I experienced that with a lot of my clients too. And I think perhaps people just throw around the word binge uh, mm-hmm. because I've experienced that with my clients too, where they're doing one of their weekly check-ins with me and they're like, oh, I, I need to apologize. Like, this Saturday was a bad day. I binged and they report the food intake to me and I look at it and it's like they overate by like you mentioned 400, 500 calories. It's nothing. Right. And as you mentioned, I think really the, 
one of the biggest distinguishing factors too is obviously the quantity of food consumed, but also the emotions associated with that behavior afterwards. And then the intention behind the action as well, right? Because you mentioned we all sometimes purposefully overeat. I know I do it all the time, right? Uh, funny enough, I guess we'll share the story. When when we were all here in, in Tampa for the seminar event, we decided to go eat sushi. And there's this place that I love here that's an all-you-can-eat buffet. And I go there personally maybe like once a month with uh, a good buddy of mine. And we intentionally don't really eat all day. <laughs> That's a lie. I have a breakfast, but then I go train after breakfast and then I will not eat till about four or 5 PM on purpose. And then we go there and I eat till the point that like, I literally can't take another bite. And some people may say that that is not a healthy behavior, but I'm choosing to engage in that because I enjoy doing that every once in a while. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I don't feel about it. I don't feel bad about it at all. And I'm actually pretty happy. Like usually I look forward to it every time. It doesn't affect me negatively and it doesn't affect my health negatively either. So I think that distinction that you made between the two is really, really important for people to understand. Um, from here, I really wanted to ask. So we've discussed what binge eating is, what some potential triggers are from people. Hey guys, some of you may not know that I'm the scientific advisor for a supplement company called Outwork Nutrition. I help with the formulation of new products to help ensure that they're effective and backed by science. Unlike many other supplement companies out there, we don't rely on exaggerated claims or flashy marketing tactics. Instead, we let the science speak for itself. We take pride in formulating products that deliver real results, helping you achieve your fitness goals in a meaningful way. If you're in the market for supplements like protein powder, pre-workout or recovery products, make sure to check us out at outworknutrition.com. And as a thank you for being an avid listener of this podcast, use code Joey for an exclusive discount at checkout. You can find a link to our website down in the description of this podcast episode. Remember, our goal is to empower you with science-backed supplements that truly make a difference. Choose Outwork Nutrition and elevate your fitness to new heights. Let's say somebody understands that they suffer or struggle with binge eating. They've identified what some of their particular triggers are, whether it's environmental, whether it's past trauma, whether it's emotions or stress. What are some things that people can do to help and try to improve these conditions? And I know that working with a coach is extremely beneficial, but what are some, some really simple tips that people can use to at least try to improve um, these behaviors? There are a very good range of options that you can start implementing. The first one is more developing the skill of more self-awareness, interoceptive awareness. Asking yourself, what are you feeling at that moment in time? And how are you feeling? What sort of emotions are you experiencing at that point? Are you hungry? Are you angry? Have you slept? Have, have you slept enough? Is there something that is just making you feel super uncomfortable? What is it? It's basically put a name to that binge and to that trigger. Okay, this is the discussion with my mom this morning. So you know what the triggers are by naming them. Okay, this was that I just had a shitty day at work and a coworker just insulted me or made me feel mm -hmm. that I was not enough. So when you identify the specific things that made you upset, angry, sad, you're able to perhaps see more clearly what is making you feel that way. And you probably can then develop the, make the decision whether is the root cause is the actual thing that is making you or setting you up for any other further action that you're going to be doing in order to sort of like feel better. We know that food has a very strong power to make you feel better in a short term, especially mm -hmm. the foods we binge on. Mm -hmm. The foods we binge on are highly palatable, super delicious, super high in sugar, salt, and fat. And that sweet spot makes us, our dopamine go up, our serotonin improve. And it gives us a sense of pleasure in yes. a short term. Yeah. So obviously we seek that quick boost of dopamine and quick reward. 
But that doesn't mean it is solving the root of the problem. Once you finish, the problem is still there if you haven't addressed it or identified it. So you're going to continue to feel shit. So what you do, if you don't have any other ways of coping, you continue turning to food for more pleasure. So identifying what the root cause is and what the problem can be, can be a huge game changer for you to know what to do next. The other thing that is important is to set your environment. Once you know what your triggers are, know that they are there or they can be there anytime, plan for it. What can you do in order to prevent those uncomfortable times? Let's say you get at home at the same time that maybe your husband is eating and he loves eating fries and and a burger every time, but you are trying to make better choices, but it's kind of like he pulls you to eat the same things, but you don't want to. And it kind of like sets you up for a shitty show. So what do you do? Maybe you can try to go for a walk on the time that your husband is, is eating or have a conversation, find a strategy that's gonna work best for you in order to make and set up your environment better and less toxic. Set healthy boundaries and be able to adhere and respect, honor your own boundaries. Sometimes we sit, we set boundaries, but they are very weak. We don't hold to our promises or we don't honor those boundaries and we allow people to transpass these boundaries and they don't last very long. Yeah. So that is a big, big thing that we can do to prevent. The other thing that is important is developing the skill of mindfulness. Obviously, mindful eating is very powerful as that allows you to slow down. And even if you decided, you know what, I want some pleasure, I want to eat, and it's totally fine if you decide to do that because you're allowed yourself to do it, then the intention is different. Because now you're, you're saying, I am allowed to have this and I want to have some, but I'm going to be intentional about it. I'm going to slow down, actually enjoy it. Because the other thing with binge eating is people don't even taste the food. It's like they are numb. They're just eating without even feeling the taste of it, the texture. There's no connection with what they're actually doing. So when you eat, when you present and introduce mindful eating into the game, some, something changes. You're actually experiencing the taste, the texture, the flavor, the smell of the food. That it allows you to be so present that even if you're doing it because you decided you wanted to, you're actually enjoying and getting out of it. So at least makes experience worth it and better. Like, for example, when you do choose to, for, I don't know, eat a, cho- a piece of chocolate, if there's something that you allowed yourself to have it, slow down. And I promise you that that piece of chocolate is going to be so rewarding and so fulfilling that you, most times the, in, the intensity of the flavor it's no longer that intense as you start eating and continue eating that, that chocolate. Sometimes I've, be, I've allowed my clients to do this exercise of having just a square of chocolate every day, no matter what. Even if you don't necessarily were craving for it, but if it's something that you feel like is your weakness or you mm. tend to be on it, Allow yourself to have it. Like, don't put any moral to it. Don't think that whether it's good or it's bad. You, it's just going to be part of your, your diet. And you're just going to sit down. You have to choose a time when no one is around, when there is silence. So you can perhaps put some meditation music or you can just sit with yourself and make deep breath and listen to the packet, how it sounds. Now, spend some time just looking at the packet and contemplating whether 
that food particularly was, has some relationship with your past, with some memories, maybe a time or place that you had that with some friends or someone special to you. Now think about opening it slowly and now start smelling it. What, what sort of memories does that bring? What is experienced when you smell the chocolate? And then if you decided to put it in your mouth, just make a small bite and just hold it in your mouth. Just play it with your tongue in your mouth. And what are some of the experiences? What, are, what is the taste? What is the texture? Feel it. Man, that experience with that piece of chocolate lasts about three to five minutes. Just one piece. And it's so different and it feels yeah. so slow and strange that like people is, are blown away with the amount of pleasure they got just from one small piece of chocolate. And that helps them to develop that more deeper relationship with that, that food and that is always available if they want to, but it's the way and the intention you have when it comes to eat those foods. And that can be a, a very important shift in the way you choose to eat certain things that are probably not necessarily aligned with your goals, but make you feel really good. And if you want to have and include those things, you can. It's just that you want to develop that skill of being intentional and use that mindfulness to set you up for success. Yeah, I think that's beautifully said, Astrid. Um, no, when when you talk about mindful eating, you're obviously referring to, like you mentioned, slowing down, thinking about the smell of the food, the taste of the food, the mouthfeel of the food, how it makes you feel, what memories it brings up. And it just makes you way more intentional, right? And as you mentioned, you probably don't eat like that always because none of us eat like that always, but it is a very useful tool to practice to perhaps even start to learn more about your particular behaviors and your relationship with specific foods and why you do certain things and how you can help improve those things. It just brings the attention to the, I'll say the word issue at hand um, and helps you slow down, as you mentioned, which, which is really powerful. And, you know, you were talking about like thinking about memories that particular foods um, might bring up in terms of being with friends or with somebody special. And I was thinking like even me in, in particular, when you were talking about that. Um, so when I was a kid, I learned to cook because of my grandma. My grandma was always cooking black beans and scrambled eggs and toast. That's like what I remember from my grandma. Right. And it's funny because scrambled eggs as basic as it is, is probably one of my favorite foods. And I get so much joy from it. And not every day do I think about my grandma when I'm scrambling eggs. But sometimes on the weekends when I take time to come down to the kitchen by myself and cook from scratch, right? Cracking the eggs, scrambling them, putting them in the pan, smelling the smell of the eggs cooking. My grandma's now passed away, but I'm even getting chills thinking about this. You start to remember all of these really positive memories, right? And it helps build a very positive relationship with that food, which I think can be very powerful to help people improve some of these behaviors. So I'm really happy you brought that up. Um, so some of the tools you mentioned, mindfulness, right? Uh, setting boundaries. I'm actually, it's funny, I was just writing a script for a video talking about the importance of setting boundaries because I was just having a conversation with a client and he was telling me that he felt like his time was being pulled left and right everywhere by different business partners, relationships, family. And although he really wants to prioritize his health, like he just doesn't have the time, unfortunately, like hasn't had a couple hours in the past couple of weeks. He's been super busy and he's not lying about that. Right. And he told me, he's like, and the most frustrating part is that I don't need this business. I could retire today. He's very well off financially. He just does the business because he's passionate about it. And he's helping a friend of his uh, develop their business as well. And so we had this conversation. I was like, well, what it sounds like is you have a hard time setting boundaries, right? Because you can help in all these things, but you don't have to dedicate all of your time to it, especially if it's taking away from the things that are important to you, right? And I think many of us struggle with this. I struggle with setting boundaries. Like 
my mom was really, really strict. So I was never allowed to say no or set my own boundaries. It was just what she wanted. So I've always felt really guilty and really bad about saying no to someone or saying like, these are my boundaries and they will be respected. And I, you know, I'm young, but the older I get, I do start to see the importance of that. And it is so important because it, it doesn't make you a bad or a bad person or like an asshole or anything like that. I feel like that's what people immediately feel when they set boundaries. And it's not that at all. It's the fact that you're actually prioritizing yourself, right? Because we tend to prioritize everybody around us, especially if that's our personality. And then the person that gets left behind is you, right? So the example you gave of like, uh, perhaps somebody's husband is always eating a certain type of food at night and they really don't want to do that but they give in consistently because they feel bad and they don't want to let the other person down. Normal, normal feeling to have, right? But it's important to identify that you shouldn't feel like you have to compromise the things that you want, right? Because at the end of the day, if that action is going against what you truly want to do, then I think it's probably smarter and healthier for both parties to come up with realistic boundaries, right? Because it doesn't, you don't have to be like, I mentioned, you don't have to be mean or an asshole about your boundaries either, especially if it's your significant other, you can have a conversation about what boundaries are appropriate, but it is important to identify those boundaries and be strict about them so that you can prioritize yourself and make progress towards whatever type of goals you're trying to get to. And one thing I think boundaries does really well is um, prevent frustrations, right? Because Typically, when you don't have boundaries, there's this disconnect between the things you want to do and the things you're actually doing. You're doing the things you don't want to do in certain circumstances, and you're not prioritizing the things that you actually want to do. And what that boundary does is help you prioritize the things you want to do. And when you don't have those boundaries, it can be so frustrating, right? It's like, fuck, like this is important, but like I'm not doing it. Why? Oftentimes, it comes down to setting appropriate boundaries. So I'm really happy you brought that up. Um, I'll add one caveat to that, which is a conversation I actually had with a client last week and he doesn't seem to have time for anything. He doesn't seem to have capacity to commit consistently to the things that he needs to do in order to change his body weight and his body shape. But he doesn't seem to either have those as like when, when you start giving options and alternatives, like and strategies, well, well, what about this? What about this? There's always an excuse. Oh, well, but no, because I have to do this. Well, but yeah. not. So I sort of challenge him and like, what are your true priorities? Because yeah. sometimes we want to achieve certain things, but we have a still a bigger priority list that we don't want to give up. Yeah. And if you're not honest about what your priorities are, you will be frustrated because you're not going to be consistent with the things that you think you want to achieve. Yes, you want to achieve a better body shape. You want to have a better body composition. But you, with all the alternatives I'm giving you, there's always an excuse. So what is behind that that is making you pretty much decide or choose for continue doing the things that they're making you relatively unhealthy, unhappy, but you still want to do those things over prioritizing yourself. Oh, well, it's, it's my work. I, I have to work between this time and this time and I have to prep and I have to be with my wife and then I have to have my kids because my kids are growing up and they only are child once. Okay. You have your, your priorities yeah. set. So don't complain if you don't see results because you are just clear that it's okay. Like behind your mind, it's okay to not being able to be consistent and not achieve what you truly want. You're sacrificing your current goals because there are things that are important to you. And that's totally okay. But I want you to be honest with yourself yes. and be clear that you are making some trade-offs. If you want to achieve a specific body weight, you have to make some trade-offs that unfortunately they have to happen because this, the only person that can put the work on your goals, it is you. No one else can do the job for you. So it is just that little caveat of 
know your priorities and be honest. Yes, certainly. Certainly. Because as you just mentioned, this stuff takes work. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes commitment. Mm -hmm. And in order to actually do those things, you're absolutely right. You have to make sure that it's actually a priority, right? It has to actually be a priority before you can start to work on it. Because if it's not a priority, then you're not going to prioritize it. So that's it's, it's hard sometimes to know what our priorities are, but it takes some digging in and some honest conversations, right? And with this client that I was just talking about, um, you know, his health is certainly a priority for him. So one of the activities that I asked him to do over the weekend is to really, and, and we're going to talk about this next time we meet, is putting what a seven-day uh, schedule looks like for you, a weekly schedule, and what are times that like your business partners are not allowed to bother you that are going to be your workout times and what parameters or systems are we going to set in place to make sure that you can stay adherent with your nutrition, right? Because, Hey, if you don't have time and you find yourself eating out, maybe you should just invest in a meal prep service. Some people can't afford it, but if you're in a position that you can't afford it, that's a very nice thing to have because it saves you time. Are you tired of spending countless hours, grocery shopping, cooking, and preparing your meals? I get it. Time is precious, and that's where Icon Meals comes into play. I've partnered with Icon Meals to bring you delicious, macro-friendly, and high-protein meals that will make it easier than ever for you to achieve your fitness goals. I understand that you may have hesitations over the cost of a meal prep service compared to cooking food at home. But let's face it, how often do you spend more money eating out because you didn't have time to prepare your food at home anyways? With Icon Meals, you not only save time, but you invest in your health. These meals are carefully crafted to be healthier and more in line with your fitness goals than most of the food that you eat out anyways. So why wait? Visit iconmeals.com and explore their wide array of mouth-watering meals. And as a special bonus for listening to this podcast, use code JOSEPH10 at checkout for a special discount off of your order. By the way, you can find all of the necessary links in the description of this podcast. Don't let time be a barrier to your success. Choose Icon Meals and fuel your journey towards a healthier, fitter you. If you can't afford that, then you need to set an, an hour or two to meal prep on a Sunday or on a Saturday, whenever you have time. But it does require the planning and the execution, and that requires time and effort, right? But um, it, it, it was a very productive conversation. I'm happy because one, he identified, as you mentioned, that his health and fitness is his number one priority right now. But as much as he cares about his friends and their business that he's willing to help, he's going to set boundaries and he's going to have open and honest conversations with him. And, and in terms of setting boundaries, I think one of the difficult parts is that you don't want to let the other person down, right? The person that you're setting the boundary on. And so we had a conversation about that as well. And I think this is a very beneficial way to frame it because he was telling me, for example, he was like, I had a, a lunch meeting with my business partners to discuss some business related stuff. And he said he was in a bad mood. He was angry because it was a last minute meeting and the food choices at the restaurant, he was trying to read the menu, the business partners talking to him. He couldn't even focus on the menu. The food choices on the menu wasn't something he wanted. And so I expressed to him, I was like, listen, when you set these boundaries, express that these boundaries are to prioritize your priorities, but will also make you more effective at being a good business partner. Express that you felt a certain way during this meeting because of X, Y, Z reasons. And if you implement these boundaries, you'll be more effective at your business meetings because you won't be angry. You won't be frustrated. You won't have any sort of negative feelings towards the other person thinking that they're holding you back. So it's a win-win for everybody. And I think when you frame it that way, it perhaps lessens that feeling that you are going to let the other person down, right? I love that. Yes. Yeah. And it so, is, good. yeah, yeah. So I'm happy that conversation went really well. I'm excited to, to speak to him again next week and see how that goes. But, um, okay. So I think you've mentioned some really fantastic things so far. I, I wanted to ask one more thing that is very specific when it comes to things that you can implement when you're experiencing or when you feel like you're about to experience these behaviors, right? And I use one tool in particular with my clients. Um, so similar to you, I've asked my clients to have the food that they're trying to avoid just to have it every day in a moderate fashion, right? And I actually was implementing this with a client that I onboarded two weeks ago, new client. And she was like, my weakness is ice cream. Like I do well, but like I just overdo ice cream. 
And I don't know how not to have ice cream. And I asked her, have you ever tried to just have some ice cream every day? And it's like, it's no big deal. And she was like, no, I've never tried that. And I was like, well, if you have it every day, maybe you'll start to like lessen that feeling of like restriction or this food being bad. And like, when you do have it, you overeat it. It's like, I was like, you should just treat it like any other food. It's not that big of a deal. You want to just have some, have a little bit every day. And she's like, oh, I never thought about it like that. And it's actually going pretty positively. Right. But with clients that experience, and I do not work with the same type of clients that you do, but I have worked with clients that, for example, they tell me, man, like the week goes well, but when I get home from work on Friday after a 12 hour shift and it's almost midnight, I just can't help myself. And I'll eat like a thousand calories of Oreos. Obviously that's a behavior that isn't necessarily healthy and they want to change. The one, the one, well, two tips that I usually recommend is we discuss alternate behaviors that are stress relieving behaviors that they enjoy, right? That once they identify that they might perhaps binge, that they should ideally try to substitute the binge with another behavior that is stress relieving. Now, I know that's easier said than done. So oftentimes what I ask them to do as well is if they do feel like eating, and again, there's nothing wrong with eating is to first eat something that is aligned with their goals. And usually what I'll recommend is like a scoop of protein with about 12 to 16 ounces of water and a piece of fruit. You're getting some protein, you're getting some fiber, the volume from the water make you feel satiated. And then rather than telling them they can't eat the food that they want to eat, I tell them to wait 15 or 20 minutes and then give themselves permission, right? So it, it puts like a short stop, right? And it has them think about their behavior and then implement a potentially helpful behavior. And usually one of two things happens. They either feel satisfied and they don't have the food at all, or two, they still want some and they have it, but it's usually significantly reduced in terms of quantity, right? Um, what are your thoughts about that? Do you use something similar? Are there any other tips or or things that you use with your clients? I try to work more on the root cause of that behavior. Yeah. So I I work with the same similar strategies around well, if this gets to happen then let's plan for either allow it, pause it, and give yourself a range of different options. Also, I think it is important to understand why, the why you are mm -hmm. doing that in the first place. So I like digging a little deeper as to what do you think is happening here? What do you think it is driving this behavior? Yes, yes, maybe it's a lot of stress from the week. It is a way to seek pleasure, short, short-term pleasure because it is just short-term, but it's a reward. So I kind of dig as well to the past. Like how do you used to get a lot of rewards from accomplishing things? Like if you achieved something in your childhood, like you got a good grades. Um, were you rewarded with food yeah. or when something positive, when you did something that was really hard, did you always go for a big celebratory meal or something like that? Sometimes what happens is there is part of your upbringing and your childhood reflecting mm. in your adulthood. So yeah. once we are more aware of where is this coming from? It is much easier for us to identify our behaviors and maybe easier for us to change them. Because yes, we can put a band-aid as to, well, this is a, a strategy that you can implement now, but it, it is not going to solve the issue necessarily. And that is going that behavior itself is going to either stay the same, strengthen. And it's going to continue to repeat every Friday. Oh, well, I am not going to binge, but I still doing something else that it is probably not a bad thing mm -hmm. regardless, but you want to know where is that behavior coming from in order to have more control over your actions. So that's where I'd like to work more on, mm -hmm. on top of giving alternatives. The other thing is, again, setting what is setting you up for you to be on that particular day? So set the environment, change the scenes, 
change what you do around that same time, because if you identify that it's a particular time, every time, almost every, uh, on the same days, what is triggering that? And if you can change something that interrupts where you're at or what you're doing, that can interrupt the thinking and the way you're approaching this behavior as well. So go for a walk, do go to the gym at the time or do something with your wife or with your husband, play with your kids, make something that just interrupts the pattern mm-hmm. of you trying to do that and challenge your thoughts. Why are you wanting to do this? Why do you want to sort of eat a bunch of Oreos? And ask yourself questions. Is this truly going to make me feel better? Is this a true reward? Or can I have a, a, an identify and work with a list, create a list of alternatives that make you happy as well, that has nothing to do with food. So yeah. it is powerful to have different alternatives and present them to the client and negotiate with them. But the biggest thing is giving them the tool, the biggest tool for them is to have control over their choices and their past. If they identify the behavior and why, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, that is beautifully said. Um, Yeah, I can see why the way you coach and work with clients is so powerful. And again, it just goes to show like how beneficial coaching can be, right? Because it is really, really hard to change your behaviors on your own, right? I feel like oftentimes most people or some people know what they need to do, but actually coming up with an actionable plan, having conversations about it, having somebody for accountability, having somebody perhaps bring things out of you that you have a hard time bringing out of yourself and having somebody give you perhaps a slightly different perspective on the way you behave can be so beneficial, right? Um, Astrid, I really appreciate your time and I appreciate you being here. I would love for you to share where people can find you and if they're interested in perhaps working with you, how can they inquire? Find me in my Instagram, anti-diet underscore dietitian. And you can always send me a DM there. I'm happy to talk to you. Or you can apply for coaching or send me an email at astrid.bioline.com. I'm more than happy to chat any further. If there's any further questions, just guys, reach out. Let me know. And thank you, Joy, for having me here today. This was a beautiful and powerful conversation. Definitely. And don't worry, I'll share all of your links in the description of this episode too. So guys, if you're listening and you want to contact Astrid, just scroll down and you'll see it in the description of the video on whatever podcasting app or on YouTube. Okay. Astrid, thank you so much. Everybody else, thank you so much for listening and tuning into today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it and I'll see you in next week's episode.